We're here at the Sydney Film Festival and it is the fifth day of the festival and we are in full swing. We have seen so many films and as always we are here with Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Yo. And freelancer writer and critic Virat Nehru. Very unimpressed right now. So, thanks for that. So what you may be hearing around us is it's one of the many talks that are finishing the hub. Please come check them out and we will be here throughout. Just come say hi. We'll be the guys fighting. But in the meantime, we have Film and Revolt here with us to talk about films at the festival. And from Film and Revolt, we have Lee Russell. Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thanks, Glenn. Good to be here. And we have Keenan. Uh, yeah, it's cool to be here. And Tiana. Hey, guys. I'm really happy to be here and I'm so excited to be with these really three cool guys. But that's like genuine happiness. Like we haven't had that for like a long time. We're so cynical and there's so much like repression going on. I'm so happy that actual happiness exists. Thank you. Yeah, this is introducing a much needed burst of warmth to the cold hearts of Film Fight Club. (laughs) But not that cynical. At least I'm. I am extremely cynical. So. it's part of the vibe. Like, you know, we're three people who've seen so many films. We've seen it all, you know. We've done it all kind of thing. So nothing impresses us anymore. Isn't that the idea? So tell us about Film and Revolt for those of us who haven't heard of it, who might be listening. Well, Film and Revolt is a platform for youth who love film. So we have a fantastic team of young filmmakers and writers and... Um, I essentially work for them and if they tell me what festivals they want to go to, what directors they want to speak to, and I try and make it happen for them. So we're on an online platform, filmandrevolt.org, and um, yeah, you can go there and see our Sydney Film Festival youth coverage and all the other festivals that we've covered as well during the year. Wonderful. I've been seeing you guys around the place at screenings on Instagram, incredibly active. So well done on putting this amazing, amazing thing together. And Keenan, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I'm just your average year 12 student doing the HSC, living that life. <laughs> Maybe I want to study film next year, I'm not sure. Fantastic. We have a few film majors here, so it's, uh, it, can, it can be quite something. And Tiana, can you tell us a little bit about you? Um, so yeah, I'm same as Keenan. I'm like in year 12 and I'm studying 24-7. Um, I do like film, but I think I'm going to do economics in the future, so... Oh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's very impressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I like film a lot. Well, we do too. Um, I certainly got into film at university, not doing a film-led degree initially, and um, I went from there. So tell me about some... We've, it's been a few days now. Tell us about some of the films and some of the highlights you've seen at this year's festival. So, so far for the 2018 Sydney Film Fest, I've just seen The Breadwinner, which is an animated feature directed by Laura Nora, Nora Towney and I got to interview the animation director Lorraine Lorden and they're part of an Irish cartoon animation company of which I've seen a few of their films before so I was really excited to see it and it's based on um, a short novel by Deborah Ellis called Pavana or The Breadwinner which I read when I was in primary school I'm pretty sure every primary school kid had it in the library anyway and it's a really great adaptation and I definitely recommend seeing it um, did you happen to see the other one that did Song of the Sea a few years back? Yes, I've seen Song of the Sea, and I loved it. But I haven't seen the other one, which is Secret of Kells. But I've, it's on my list to see that one. So how did the breadwinner compare to Song of the Sea for you? So the animation beauty that I loved for Song of the Sea was definitely present for all of the breadwinner. But I'd definitely say that where Song of the Sea is a beautiful little Irish folktale, the breadwinner gets down and dirty into the horrors of people in Afghanistan are currently facing and so there's a definite tonal shift between 
lovely and innocent, and then lovely and innocent with a layer of terror and awfulness. Wow, it's fantastic. Oh, it, absolutely, and I'm looking forward to seeing that very shortly at the festival. And Tiana, is there a highlight so far of the festival that you've happened to catch? Okay, well, I've only seen one film so far, but that was yesterday. I saw The Seen and Unseen, which was the Indonesian entry um, for the official competition. That was amazing. I loved it. Um, it was really innovative and moving, the entire thing about the two twins. And, okay, half the time I was crying, but if I wasn't crying, I was just amazed by, I guess, just how innovative it was and how beautiful she captured the raw humanity of what that girl was going through with her brother being sick it was we caught that session too yesterday i mean we had a full packed up crowd and there was a very interesting talk afterwards as well yes well okay so i was there for like half of it and it was the geetha farrow right the producer of it yeah she's really cool um but no i was super excited because i guess i'm really into foreign films like that's my thing especially stuff from asia i find Especially, yeah, considering women's, like, issues and stuff over there. So when I saw Wolf and Streep last year, it was the same kind of thing that attracted me to it. So, like, something from Indonesia, so rare. And so I was really excited about it, and I thought, yeah, no, she's really cool. You're probably the only person I know of, apart from myself, who saw Wolf and Streep, because I interviewed the director last year. I did too, Shabana Siddharth, she's amazing. Fantastic. I'm so glad that I found someone else who's seen the movie. Hey, 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 I saw it. I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's some people I, 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 well, I haven't seen. I didn't see it, but I was here at the Hub last year for a talk that had a bunch of women directors from the film fest, and she was there. I heard her speak. She, I've heard good things. I do have to catch that one. And it seems we've seen a few things. And also, uh, for Chris, I think we were all in the same session of The Seen and Unseen. I particularly enjoyed the final sequence. I found that very emotive. Some of the costume design and cinematography um, was too very beautiful. And those were some of my takeaways from the film. Can we get the elf out of the room that Chris hated this movie? Can we address this already? <laughs> oh. oh, no, Chris. <laughs> I was hoping that we could have had the more praise for it from Virat before I rained on the parade, as usual, with my unfiltered cynicism but um yeah i thought it was kind of predictable in the symbolism it went for like it was going for this idea of balance and death and rebirth um symbolized by the cycles of the moon and chickens and eggs and i felt like after a while i got it but the film kept going in the same direction um but to tell the truth, I was bored, and when I'm bored, I don't tend to engage deeply with something. So it's possible that people who got into the film saw a lot more in it than I did. Um, there are sequences I really like. There's a great dance sequence on a bed. Um, yeah, I guess I just found the way the film was working a little bit repetitive. But uh, let's turn it over to people who liked it more. Well, yeah, I reckon... Okay, look, it was... It does take some patience to see the entire thing but I think that was kind of what I liked about it because it wasn't just a short little thing that was like a disconnected moment of seeing her emotion it was just kind of built up and so yeah okay I do agree it was halfway through I was like yeah this is kind of the same thing over and over again but same token I think that's what she intended and I think it's supposed to be felt like this long slow kind of feeling of knowing he's going to die soon it's interesting because I feel that kind of uh, slow simplicity of it is what is very disarming, which you found disconnecting. So I feel yeah. it's yeah. interesting that sometimes the film doesn't have to be overly complicated or intellectually or cerebrally engaging. It just has to do the simple things right. And if it's that in the right measure, 
I think sometimes, because I think we'd be bombarded with cynical movies or ironic movies. Everything's played out for a joke. That's like postmodern cinema, right? So something which is sincere and actually doesn't try to take the carpet off your feet sometimes can actually feel fresh. And I think that's what that movie was. It was actually very sincere. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. I, I have to agree with the, both of you to a degree. I remember a couple of years ago there was a wonderful film at the Sydney Film Festival called Girl Asleep, which was directed at a younger crowd, and it dealt with similar fantastical elements, had um, quite straightforward costume design. However, that had a lot of the 70s uh, motifs that you would expect from a Wes Anderson film, whereas it could have been just as good in many respects it had been stripped back, and I feel that's very much what the scene and unseen was going for. And I think, like yourself, Tiana, I very much enjoyed those aspects of it. Now, in, we are very keen to talk about some of the films we're all going to be seeing at the festival, but what I'm really keen, given the opportunity we have here, a couple of years ago, uh, Sydney Film Festival started a push to engage with a younger crowd. Certainly a lot of the films have always been directed at a bit of an older crowd, and I'm very curious to talk about your thoughts on how festivals, but this festival in particular, caters to a young audience. Well, yeah, I know that the festival, looking at the the spread now there's a lot of kids films that are out there they've got more than ever and a bunch that are animated which definitely especially younger kids definitely jump for the animated ones so yeah i think it's great to have more kid directed films so that we can get into them earlier and then come back and appreciate the adult ones when we get old enough with the uh, the family youth program, Claire Sawyer's actually programmed a, a, a great variety of films for younger children and for teenagers, but because of the changes in classification over the years for film festivals, older teens over 15 can actually uh, dive deeper into the program and go and see films that are 15 plus, which is exciting because there's so many films out there and a lot of our youth are getting out there and seeing like a, a big cross-section of the festival. Oh, well, yeah, I guess, but I don't know. On some token, I feel, same token, I feel like there's definitely a disparity. There's not enough youth at the festival, even like yesterday's screening. It was like most people over 50, I'm pretty sure. And I'm pretty sure I was the youngest person there by like 30 years. And even when I talk to my friends about it, it's like people are just not, it's not that they're not interested in film, but it's just like, it's got a very like, I guess it's kind of not pretentious, but the entire like old crowd that's like goes to film festivals is like and plus even the timing of it doesn't really cater to like youth as well like if you're having a screening at like 6 30 on like a thursday night it's like most people like no way but at the same token i think they need to do way more to engage with youth and i think do that by having you know speakers who are more i guess yeah no more like people like we know not like um yeah, and have that going around because at the moment I still think like there's definitely a disparity between the ages that are attracted to the festival. I have to say I envy you guys because when I was a teenager, I always wanted to go to the Sydney Film Fest. Little did I know, uh, for all you people who might be 18 and under listening, that they don't check how old you are at all. So, you know, <laughs> just, you know... If you are turning 18 in a couple of months, as I was when uh, Ashes of Time Redux was showing at the Sydney Film Fest, which I regret missing at the cinema to this day, um, you know, maybe just go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, now it's, it's opened up to people 15 years and older for a lot of sessions, and some are all ages. It's great. Um, I saw something really sad a few years back at the festival, which was 
a mother with two kids being turned away from The Tale of Princess Kaguya, which is an absolutely beautiful anime film. I think one of the masterpieces of the last decade and definitely a film that would be mind-expanding for kids. So, you know, it's great that the festival are turning it around. Um, I agree with Tiana that there's more that could be done. Why were they turned away? Because, sorry, this is, uh, you know, unclassified. Uh, you're, you're clearly, like, 12 years old. Yeah. That makes no sense. It's a tale of Princess Kaguya for all, you know, things. So it, it's like, who can see that? And it's, it's a family film. I know, but also, <laughs> may, maybe I'm going to be a bit of a rebel rouser because I have a younger brother and I, I truly feel he's way more emotionally mature than me when I was back a teenager, probably even today. So I compare myself to when he's like his age. So I feel uh, I'm all for like, you know, opening up the age brackets and people viewing whatever content they want to view and people can make up their minds on themselves. I think people, younger people, I don't think younger people because I'm, I don't think I'm that older, but anyway, so you know, younger people in general just... Uh, I think we kind of get it. We know. We can figure it out for ourselves. Let us, let us be the judge, you know. Well, I was certainly very happy a couple of years ago when they opened up Swasami Man to a younger crowd. It remains one of my top ten favorite films. Oh, I think we have another fan here. Oh, my God, Swasami Man. I literally just discovered it on Netflix like months ago, and I watched half of it, and I thought, no, I have to stop now so that I can watch the rest of it with my family, and then we loved it, and I've listened to the soundtrack every day for like a week after it. Just completely awestruck. I might cry. It's so good. Chris and Rob will know I'm not exaggerating when I say I have a kindred soul here. This is, I've said, I think it was as of two weeks ago, this is in among my very few favorite films. I was in the first public screening a couple of years back and there was a younger crowd and there were people standing and laughing and cheering and crying. It's just so good. I'm going to cry. It's just so good. Watch it if you haven't. It's on Netflix. Get Netflix and watch it. Definitely good good advice. Netflix and watch that film. I I am glad they've opened it up, but I absolutely agree with Tiana too that um, making the films accessible to younger audience in the sense that you're running back from school, it's harder to get there at 6.30, more of the weekends, more accessible venues, I think that would certainly be very... Yeah, and I've just been rummaging through the the program here and um, two films that I really wanted to see, Lanamal, which is a... German film and one called 1% really caught my eye when I was Lee said oh here look at the program and tell me what you want to see and I so I think on the web page it's not easier to view what the the age ranging is so I was like I want to see this this and this and then half yeah, of them come back it, and then it's like I can't go to half of them I think I emailed you with films I wanted to go with and go to and she was like yep no you're not over 18 and I'm like that's six months away but as, as we just, Chris just mentioned with this, yes. under, under, as, as Chris just, as someone just suggested, suggested, <laughs> yes, uh, it's, you, you, it's not an instruction. <laughs> yes. uh, you, you don't need a fake ID for this one uh, because yes. nobody checks any IDs. So, you know, you can walk in and people will be none the wiser. Because as it is, you're not supposed to guess someone's age anyway because it's impolite. <laughs> right. But I'm just saying it's still frustrating that they're trying to gear more films to the youth, they're trying to get a bigger youth audience, but they're blocking youth from seeing the films that the youth are really interested in, so maybe they should change that tactic. Definitely something that they should and maybe can consider for following festivals in years to come. Now, we have several more days of the festival left to go. I know we've been fighting about our, what to fill our flexi passes with, but I'm very curious what everyone is got coming up next and what they are excited to see. So next Saturday, I'm lucky enough to go and see Black Klansman, starring Adam Driver. And then straight after, I get to see a gen- Japanese animated feature called Mirai. Yes. Yes. Yes, I finally found Woo! someone else who's excited for Mirai. <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying to hype it up to everyone, and no one cares. Well, I'm hyped. Uh, cool, so, cool. But yeah, I think Black Klansman might be, might be deserving of more hype, because if you've seen the trailer, you'll know that it just looks amazing. 
I think everyone I know is going to be this shooting. My roommate's going. I have friends who wanted to film who are going. We're missing the France-Australia match, at least the beginning, because <laughs> we see this This is so important. So It's going to be so good. Can I just point out what just happened here? I think Glenn and Chris suddenly, like, there's genuine emotion coming from these two. What is going on? Film Fight Club, what is happening? Are we, are we becoming, like, genuine people? I have feelings. The, the animosity and violence that has our namesake is built upon is being melted by the youthful radiance of Film and Revolt or something. That's, that's very good. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. If anyone saw a Pig um, or is going to see it, that's my impression of the pretentious director who's always spouting poetry, who is a recurring character throughout. I'm even more excited to see it now. I'm seeing it next Friday. And Tiana... How about yourself? Are there films you're excited to see at the festival? Um, yeah, no, I'm really excited about seeing The Heiresses next Sunday. Super excited about that, especially about LGBTQ and... Yeah, I'm super excited about that and see two women and the leads, yeah. Oh, it's... Oh, there's so many coming up. I'm seeing... What are we seeing tonight? Don't worry, he won't get far on foot. Yeah, which I feel like it's a, it's a film which is tailor-made for me because I don't really get far in front at all. It's, it's, a, it's, it's really good. Uh, so, yeah, we've got Gus Van Sant's film. Joaquin Phoenix is in there. So I'm looking forward to something exciting. Also, the John McEnroe doco. I'm a huge tennis fan. And, gosh, in the realm of perfection, watching John McEnroe play tennis in 16mm, really good. It's surprisingly one of the highlights, which I really didn't expect. Would you say that it's in the realm of perfection? It's, it's not in the realm of perfection, which would be Roger Federer, but it's close enough. And Lee, are there films that you're excited to see at the festival coming up? Any year, just got on the Flexi Pass, got on the app? Well, I'm scheduling about 15 teens or their films for the festival, wow. so I'm, my films are kind of put on the side. But I'm seeing number 37 tonight, and you recommended it to me on the red carpet um, the opening night, so I booked that in for this evening. Very excited about that. And I'm going to see Skate Kitchen, which is in the youth program, which looks excellent. It's a documentary. And I have a whole lot of other films that I can't remember at the moment because they're in my back of my brain. That's very fair. I can recommend number 37. It is a reworking of Rear Window set in the Cape Town Flats, very close to where I grew up. It is a, I've seen many reworkings of Rear Window and it is the best one I have seen. It is mostly taking place within the apartment and the cinematography um, is excellent. The Sifa Demisa, the director, is out so you can catch her doing the Q&As at some of the screenings. Um, so yeah, definitely one to seek out. I'm treating Sydney Film Festival as a challenge so as soon as this interview is over I'm off to the four hour acapella black and white slow cinema rock opera um, that is Season of the Devil and uh, it's going to be a struggle to stay awake Um, there's back to back four hour screenings actually because me and Virat tomorrow morning are seeing Elephant Sitting Still which is an unfinished work because the director uh, committed suicide tragically so it's still four and a half hours long and then I'm rushing to see Ariel the Aki Kursmaki at the art gallery so Chris and I are going to be spending a lot of time together tomorrow we're going to be best friends oh, really? If really? Not, if you're not already I don't know are we? we're, we're, we're definitely getting there at an accelerating exponentially rate now we're going to wrap up but in terms of recommendations things people are keen like you know seek out ones a little bit out of left field is the ones that maybe jump out at you that may be upcoming in the next few days uh, one that definitely jumped out was the he won't get far on foot but again over 18 so I didn't get free tickets to it from Lee unfortunately so maybe I'll go and see it this weekend anyway with my own money which I'd be happy to do because it looks awesome love it I, I love it <laughs> I would recommend uh, The Cleaners, which is the documentary about 
people, uh, the content moderators of Facebook, and they're all based in Philippines, and how Facebook is managed behind the scenes. Really interesting, or also not managed because it's not doing a good job. But anyway, based on what's going on, it's a really interesting take on what kind of really, really out there content gets put on Facebook and who are the people who have to see it every day to basically delete all that trash, basically. But yeah, very confronting. But in a good way, I think. Lovely. And um, I, one I can recommend is Upgrade, which is, oh dear, um, Lee Winnell. It is B-movie schlock. Once it embraces its B-movie schlock, once the audience get into it, it is spectacularly fun. There is a sequence uh, taking place in a house that is one of the standout best of the year. And while you could be frustrated in the early stages given some of the B-movie aspects, um, it is deceptively clever in that it actually turns your expectations on its head and the ending is um, much more insightful and coy than I would typically expect from any like fair. So I want to thank Lee and everyone, and Kina and Tiana, for coming on this program. And just tell us, Film Revolt, where can they find you? How can they follow you? Uh, filmandrevolt.org, and we're on Instagram, and we're on Facebook. So um, if you'd like to be a part of our team, your age between 13 and 19, um, give me a shout. How did you guys get into film? Because, as you say, it's film. Because, it, as you say, it is so rare to see kids who are interested in this kind of cinema these days and there is very much a skew towards really old people at these film festivals there's actually a lot more teens youth that are really really interested and film and revolt showcases that that you just that it's not out there and we're providing a platform now for youth to kind of you know you know show what they love and you know change the conversation about youth and film Okay, so in answer to your question, what got me into film, um, not a sob story, when my parents split up 10 years ago, totally fine, whatever. The thing we did at Dad's, at Mum's we would watch Survivor after dinner, and that was our that was our family thing. At Dad's we'd always watch a movie, like, like every night. I remember we had one week where we watched all six episodes of Star Wars six nights in a row, and that's impressive because we were like five and seven years old, but we st- stood awake and dotted. So I guess my love of films instigated thoroughly by my dad because we watched films all the time, and he has a fat collection and we've just been working through them and coming back to the classics and developing the love um okay so mine was when i was little i was we used to have dvds in my house and my parents used to have a particular set of dvds that i wasn't allowed to watch and so when i was little and they used to be working i used to go through those specific (laughs) movies that i wasn't allowed to watch and i think i was about nine or so and i saw guillermo del toro's pan's labyrinth oh yes and so I saw that and, like, apart from, like, what I'd been watching, the pure just sex scenes and violence that I'd seen before, that was, like, a film that I absolutely loved and that's what I got into. Yeah. So this is a real precedent for sneaking into the <laughs> Sydney Film Festival as a teenager. That's the one thing we've established is that do away with any kind of classification because it doesn't help. It makes you more curious, if anything else. Takeaway here, do it with any classification. Now, I remember seeing Pan's Labyrinth when I was younger. Did you happen to see a Monster Calls a couple of years back? The one that was. Oh, I've read the book and I've been meaning to see the film because I saw a trailer for it and it looks good. But yeah. I haven't seen the film. It, 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 that's a strange one. It's kind of a family film, but kind of not. And it, it's a pretty inferior take on Pan's Labyrinth, I would say. So, you know, I'm not missing too much. 
And can I ask, um, going off Chris's earlier question, when I was um, your age, I was, and still am, very much into making short films. I know Chris has, since he was a tiny, has always been running around with a camera. Um, are both, are either of you into filmmaking? And um, are you making films? Are you looking to make films at the moment? Well, yeah, I totally am. But, like, HSC schedule doesn't really suit that. But I get to do it with art for my major work. So that works. I get to spend an entire year making a film. Um, but yeah, no, that's the one thing I definitely love, but perhaps it's not the most viable career option. But yeah. Can I tell you a secret? The HSC doesn't really matter. Oh, sorry. They say that time. Virat! Sorry. Honestly, like you live through it. I mean, uh, sorry. It's the most important thing right now. I agree, but it's okay. Oh, oh dear. Okay, you live through it, but you live with the trauma. I can tell you that until recently, I've still had dreams where it's like, oh, I'm doing the HSC again. Oh, no. I wish you really hadn't just said that. Like, now I'm going to be haunted forever. Um, yeah, so we've, I've. I love to make films, and for my HSC, I'm making two films. Oh, so, so I'm beating you, Tayana. Yeah. So I've made an interactive film, which is really cool for Extension Two, and really fun, and just a normal film for drama. So that's been great. Awesome. That, that's so great. And I was had the fortune of doing a few in drama and getting the script them. And is that something you're interested to go into, or um, post universe, post finishing high school? And do they still call the HSC? Is that what it's? Yeah. They, they do. Okay, <laughs> Glenn, the HSC. Yeah, so I'm looking at a few uni courses for film next year, hoping to get into afters, cross my fingers, touch wood. I just did a course there, and the, the tech, it's just marvellous. My sister is about to graduate there, and um, she, she loved it. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Like, that was the one thing I was considering for uni, and um, I really want to go to NYU or Columbia because for that same reason, just for film, so I can do that as like, a side thing. But I think in terms of film, I think I'm really into documentary filmmaking. It's like kind of the thing with like the law and the journalism aspect of it. I quite like that. So, yeah. This one you should def- as a law school dropout and a journalism graduate, I can I can show you that's 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 totally a good fix. So you'll be, you'll be fine. Well, as a lawyer, I can tell you there is a lot at the end there, and it, and it is it is quite something. But you can do law, and you can do film, or all the and or economics if you so wish. And if you do like documentaries, um, Rock Kabul is playing, and that is one we talked about Afghanistan earlier with the breadwinner. It is following the first psychedelic metal band in Afghanistan from Australia's journalist Travis Beard, and wandering with them throughout Kabul and other parts, and and the lives and their journey. Also, the Prince of Nothingwood, which is a really interesting doco about a self-proclaimed DIY movie star in Afghanistan who actually just goes on making movies starring himself, and that's it. So it's really funny. It's, yeah. Can I do that? I think we all should. Just give us any film festival and go out and make some films. So everyone, it's been absolutely wonderful. Lee, Kina, Tiana, thank you so much for your time and enjoy the rest of the festival. Thank you. Thank you. I've had a really fun time. You guys are really cool and really funny. Thank you. That's, that's so great. Yeah, thank you. It's been it's been good having having you guys on. Yeah, great first radio experience. Very cool. You have to welcome. You have to come back. Yeah, love to. And Lee, thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Lovely. And we have transported to the 2SER studio in Broadway for the second half of our Film Fight Club special Sydney Film Festival coverage. The first of many Sydney Film Festival special coverage editions. Sydney FFFFC. Fighting the festival, fighting the flu. Fighting all the things, fighting early mornings. Fighting sleep, fighting, I don't know, day, night concepts, I don't know. Fighting your tolerance for... 
punishing foreign films, really. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. Sitting still. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting still, indeed. <laughs> well, yeah, like we all have been watching many, many a film, as well as the incredible 42-39 South Africa-England match at 1am this morning. Did everyone see it? I didn't see that. <laughs> no. Oh, right. Okay, sorry. Okay, right, 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 right. Context, context. Um, how good were the film and Revolt crew? Yeah, they were, they were fine. They, uh, they impressed me. I... I I liked them. <laughs> they were great. They made me really existentially conscious about the fact that I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life when I was like that age. So I'm just really impressed with young people. Go young people. Like, honestly, there's so much hatred about, oh, young people don't know things and this and that and whatever. But they really, you know, give young people a chance. They have a good head on their shoulders. A generational anxiety about technology has manifested itself in hating the younger generations. Like, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're the internet. I don't like them. Yeah, but there's this <laughs> apathetic idea that young people don't care about anything. And I think just, you know, it was so... It's, it's, it's patently not true and yeah. demonstrably not true by the wonderful people we did meet, Tiana and yeah, Kina. they're lovely. So thank you so much for... Uh, out and talking about the seen and unseen in so many films we are going to be talking about so many films so many films <laughs> many more that have screened or will screen seen at the festival and seen. Uh, yeah. but first uh, we are very excited to talk about probably with the possible exception of Black Klansman the biggest film to premiere or the most anticipated film to premiere at the festival which premiered last night it was the first international public screening and that was Terry Gilliam's long 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 awaited long anticipated as long as better as long as I've all been alive The Man Who Killed Don Quixote is premiered at the Round of Grits. We'll be playing again at some point today, I think, also at the Ritz. It is starring Adam Driver, as well as an advertising executive who's mistaken for Sancho Panza, by Jonathan Price's Don Quixote, who, having starred in the short film produced by Adam Driver's ad man, has since uh, taken on the mantle of the uh, of the night of the well, count of the I can't remember the exact uh, Cervantes quote, but it is a wonderful novel which is, in my view, was surprisingly reverently adapted. This for me so far has been a highlight of the festival. Yeah, I think Knight Errant of the Seven Realms. I think. Ah, oh, thank you, Virat. Yes, <laughs> I think it shows that, as uh, Virat said to me when we walked out of the session, Tergilian really still has it when it comes to staging imaginative fantasy. His eye is still there. Like in some ways, um, some of the shooting of this feels a little bit loose and slapdash compared to what Terry Gilliam would do in the in the past. But other sequences are just immaculately controlled. Um, you know, perfectly storyboarded art. You can see Terry Gilliam, probably um, Terry Gilliam's skill as an artist coming through and replicating. You know, a very precise vision. Um, some of the sequences of shots in there were amazing, and the script is genuinely funny. Yeah, uh, it's and Adam Driver, he's fantastic, and he's just Jonathan ri- Price, man. Wow, mm, that too. Actually, I get to give it to I like Jonathan Price, but Adam Driver surpassed him for me. He, he's him being in a film now is a mark. It's of a mark quality, quality for sure, absolutely. Yeah, and he had the biggest arc in this film, transforming from a cynical ad executive, ad executive to something else, and going along with us in this fantasy world. But what I found marvelous about it was I remember reading Don Quixote some years ago, and it is a book about how we are able to and happy to give ourselves over to fantasy and literature and fiction and watching it now and it was as i said strangely loyal to the novel it mm. could just as well have been set today the novel is timeless in that respect and the idea of this literally exotic quest <coughs> and driver's character going through and beginning to accept oh there is a world beyond our you know cynical pastiches of what we think of as tilted at wimbles don quixote it's so much grander and wonderful and what's great about the film in that regard is it becomes very much a tribute to the power of cinema without having the wanky feel of a lot of, you know, aren't movies great? 
yeah, films I mean, we've been seeing recently. This is the most unlike Khan Khan movie that probably in the lineup yeah, yeah. this year, yeah. which is there's, interesting. There's enough. no just kind of like look at the splendor and glory of the screen, like of Wonderstruck yeah, like or The La La Shape La of Water or La La Land or something. This movie admits that movies can can ruin people, and but still <laughs> also <laughs> sees the greatness in them. And movies can ruin people. Chris Evans, 2018. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, fifteen films in in four days? Yes. So I, I, I hear. Yeah. This is. It, there are moments where I have to, we will rewatch it, we will do a proper full review, comments released in cinemas in the coming months, but it blended fantasy and reality, or what we think could be reality, so while it is up to very strong interpretation, what is real and what is not, and it's very rarely done well, I think he did it really well in this one. I think he did. Um, it's in a style that I think is going to alienate a lot of people, um, so I think I expect a mixed reception. It's very similar to the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, which was also very much switching at will between fantasy and reality. And like that film, it's, it's a bit of a mess in terms of it's flying all over the place in terms of tone. But I think he basically pulls it off. It's surprisingly coherent given the mad levels of um, planes of reality that are existing at the same time yeah. as the movie goes on. I could have even used more Terry Gilliam-esque imagery, Brazil-style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he could have gone crazier in this one, but I think he wanted to make a an accessible film in some ways because it's all it's crazy in terms of what's happening, but there are moments you can just kind of like chill out and watch it like it's any regular Hollywood adventure movie. Exactly. It's it's not like the newsroom delivering sermons about Don Quixote. Yeah, yeah. We're on a mission to civilize Will McAvoy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that, 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 there you go. So, wow. Actually, I'm very impressed you remember that. Aaron Sorkin, my, my, my hero. I, yeah, but, but this is not like that. This is actually very a lot more earnest and it's not smug, which is what I really liked. Yeah. Well, and last thing, um, I think people will probably justifiably take issue with the depiction of women in this film. That did annoy me a little bit, but yes. it wasn't enough to stop me from thinking that this is one of the best films of the festival. Yeah, and also really, really, really funny. Like, yeah, it was really funny. Visually and, and in terms of the yes. dialogue. Uh, which, all of it, you know, which is working on both levels, which is rare to see these days. After Edgar Wright, I think this is one of the... Gilliam's attempt at doing actual physical comedy, which actually works really well. Great action comedy. Yeah. And uh, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, one small gripe I did have with the film, the book works in a very episodic level, works in several chapters. You know, there are several 80-page stretches where we do with one episode, whether it be the wine sacks, the windmills. This had to condense it into a very small space of time, so it doesn't have the relaxed, patient feel of the book. Having said that, I get that. You have the constraints working in a film, and it is a long one. But and it's madcap. It was madcap. That's Terry Gilliam. And I'm going to see it again. So I enjoyed yeah, it. Yeah, me too. One Easter egg for audiences, if you can spot who Terry Gilliam plays in the movie. Oh, I, I missed that. I wow. missed. Oh, okay. I'm not going to spoil oh, there, there it. Are a few, I spoil everything apparently. So one, one, other, <laughs> one other Easter egg. There are a few scattered references throughout to the various failed versions of this movie that have been made. So if you haven't yep. seen it yet, watch um, Lost in La Mancha beforehand for a few extra laughs when you get to see the film. Wonderful. So that was The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. We have many, many more films to cover. Maybe we should start with Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot, which screened at the State Theatre on Friday night and will be screening again, I think, either today or tomorrow. It's the new work. Oh, yeah, it's tomorrow, I think. I might be able to catch it. I'll uh, I'll give you my thoughts if I do. Otherwise, later on. It is the film starring Joaquin Phoenix as cartoonist John Callahan, who was paralyzed in a car accident in his younger years. It also stars Rudy Mara, Jack Black, and Jonah Hill in a role I haven't quite... I'm not quite familiar. It's it's new, very new for Jonah Hill. It's new ground. It is set in the late 70s and early 80s. Rod, what did you think of Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot? Okay, firstly, disclaimer. In the last episode, <laughs> I made a very terrible joke about... Getting to see the I don't earlier know. in this episode. <laughs> okay. Earlier in this, <laughs> okay. Sorry, earlier in this episode. That's right. <laughs> that I won't get too far on foot, and I finally achieved 
the fact that I'm seeing the movie and I've got far enough on foot. So this is not to offend anybody. Uh, I was making a joke about myself because I do have a disability and I was being self-deprecating as always. Yep. So I think so. But uh, talking about the movie, it's a, it's a really good movie. It's a Gus Van Sant film, which means there's a lot of genuine emotion. And for the first time, I think, in a long time, I really felt... It captures something about the lived experience of disability without either putting them on a pedestal or actually demonizing them in the extreme. So there was actually a good balance between the two, which I was really, really pleasantly surprised by. I would agree with you on that point, and I would further that say that the performances in the film, particularly Phoenix, are, is, are excellent. He is assuredly good in everything he's ever done, and I appreciate his work. Having said that, on balance, I actually didn't like this film. Ooh. I had quite a few issues with it. Yeah, it's... It's, too, it's problematic for me when I enjoy biopics, but this has that staple of biopics where, similar to um, the Eddie Redmayne one of Stephen Hawking a couple of years ago, where it starts and ends and intimately features throughout the per- the person talking to a giant audience and expounding on his virtues or anything else. And I think it's a bit of a lazy technique, as is the flashbacks, which are deployed frequently throughout this episode, uh, in the various episodes. We... Um, the structure of this film is loosely based around him going through the AA 12 steps. And there's one particular sequence towards the end with Jonah Hill, which is very emotive, where he does show his true age as an actor. However, generally, this jumps between too many episodes of his life. I was fascinated with his creativity. There's a wonderful sequence early in the film where he goes around when he's first published showing his cartoons to everyone. I get there. When I was first published saying, hey, check out this uh, article I wrote on the top five sequels that were announced this week. And I was very happy. And there's those elements that I appreciated. But when, and then in terms of some of the other characters, Jack Black, Jonah Hill, they pop up as needed. Rudy Mara, most frustratingly, who's a superb actress, she had four scenes in the film. They were all totally, completely inconsistent. Um, and she just arrived when someone they needed to, she, or someone needed someone to throw ideas or thoughts or feelings off John Callahan. I'm talking of Rooney Mara, I've coined this phrase for Rooney Mara called navel gazing, where I feel there is been this gaze into the navel of Rooney Mara in a lot of movies now, when she actually has no purpose of being in the movie. She just is there in like really short crop tops, and we're just like, what are you doing in this movie? In really weird haircuts. And here she also has sports, I think, four different styles of hairstyles. Oh, yeah. in, in, one, in the first, she just walks in to support him in the, uh, in the immediate days following his accident. Later, she's a air hostess and they round into each other and then they're seemingly just hanging out. It's very... Uh, she's it, not even a proper manic pixie dream girl. I mean, she's just there for some reason, which is really weird. I agree with you with that one. And also, I think when the film tries to talk about morality in the sense where Jonah Hill becomes this voice of the director, essentially, yeah. Gus Van Sant, of talking about moral issues and ethical issues about living with disability, I think it does become a bit preachy. And I think those are the loosest or the most slapdash moments of the film. When it is actually most effective, it is trying to capture something a bit more, uh, I think, less profound about the lived experience. And I think that's the most important thing about this movie. It's When it tries to not do too much and actually educate you and it just shows you things about living with disability, I think those are the moments when it actually shines. I think most people know Gus Van Sant from his best film, Good Will Hunting, and the history behind this particular film is interesting. Oh, no, no, it's not his best film. Oh, oh, that's, I think it's another film probably yes, has to reserve a post at the film festival. <laughs> but um, there is, this was filmmaker because Roman Williams, who was a fan of the artist and known to him, um, was pushing for this as late as two decades ago. But there's a sequence, the famous and wonderful sequence in Good Will Hunting, the soliloquy from Roman Williams, there's elements of that in the Jonah Hill character. However, in Good Will Hunting, it was much more seamless. Here, it was much more conspicuous. So that was, don't worry, he, my 
my view. But it's an, it is an interesting film, albeit. Do, that is, do not worry. Don't worry. He won't get far on foot. Should we talk about the Irish film to screen at the festival? A Mother Brings Her Son to Be Shot. Yeah, this is a work of investigative journalism into Derry, where NR sorry, not the NRA. <laughs> the, <laughs> the, very different. IRA, IRA as I've yes. now realized. The Irish Rifle Association. <laughs> no, um, no um, IRA, basically remnants of the Irish Republican Army, or so they believe themselves to be, who, as the film reveals them to be, uh, acting now more like street gangs seem to be the justice uh, department of this town replacing the police in an area that is still very much opposed to anything they see as a representation of British imperialism. And it looks at how the trauma of the Troubles continues to haunt this town. And in many ways, they haven't moved past it. Um, it focuses in quite some detail on one particular family uh, within the self-policing community. The interviews with the family and particularly with some of the people, representatives in the town and locals, I found very fascinating. Some of the imagery that we saw throughout. Um, mm. What I would say about this film is I saw we saw two wonderful documentaries. Or two, actually, I'd say excellent documentaries at the Irish Film Festival. John Hume in the Name of Peace and um, the Alex Gibney documentary about the Lachlan Island massacre, No Stone Unturned. Those dealt with um, similarly contentious issues that have taken place within Northern Ireland in the years following and immediately prior to the Good Friday Agreement 20 years ago. However, those did quite well in talking about the broader political context and bringing in people and experts who were there at the time and continued to play a huge significant role in um, Irish Northern Irish life. I would say that um, I think the film could have benefited from some of this. Having said that, um, some more, more context, having said that, I did learn a lot from this film. I, I would disagree with that. I think the the actual kind of perennial focus of this movie and actually not bringing in too many sort of dispassionate voices made it a bit more focused attempt. I, I agree with that. I think um, I have a little quibble with it, which is I think early on it's maybe not so good at introducing some of the people and concepts, but you glean it as it goes on. Um, it's definitely one of the best docos in the program. Y- yeah. Oh, yes. I, I, think I would agree with that, yes. it's, It has a sensational title, but actually it is a lot more nuanced That's right. in its execution and than it, it shows. It gr- sort of gradually reveals levels of depth until at the end you have a pretty bleak picture Maybe that's what uh, they were going for. They I were think going they are, for like yeah. you know, very kind of in your face new title that people are like ah. It I'm starts see out this movie and you like you don't have high expectations yeah. because you're not expecting something nuanced. But in the end, you're like, oh my god, this is actually she's really caught good. something incredible about how. I mean, I was thinking of um, you know all the sensationalism about there are Sharia law towns in you know this is a Sharia law zone in England. Oh my god! But then this shows like here it, re- that really is and they do what's make going on. The like, this town. is. You know, England. This is the UK, and this is happening. So it is a fascinating documentary. Yeah, yeah. Um, one of the few Irish films screening at the festival is the Breadwinner from the creators of Song of the Sea. Song of the Sea. Um, should we talk next about perhaps Piercing? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So Piercing <laughs> is the new film starring Mia Wasikowska and Christopher Abbott, and this is a. It's essentially the two of them, and uh, the in the early scenes, we establish that he is someone who has some quite um, sickening drives, desires, and he seeks out a... It's based on a novel by Ryu Murakami or Ryu... Ryu Murakami. Murakami, there we go. And he seeks out a prostitute uh, played by Mimo Sikowska to uh, fulfill this, and it goes there in some frightening and very strange and quite unnerving directions. Uh, In the introduction, it was described to us as a kinky psychosexual romp. Yep. And yep. it was thank you, probably Richard, a the... very, very good introduction. 
I've been enjoying the Freak Me Out films so far. I wasn't the biggest fan of ghost stories, but uh, each year there are excellent ones programmed. This, I was expecting an abundance of gore and there was not it was a suspense thriller and i appreciated that it was strong in its sense of anticipation and my Anticipation. patient anticipation yes oh and the and it, it, it's very much like sin city in that sense in its staging and style so you have that very comic book variety of color palettes which is really interesting but also what i really loved about this movie is it's very very tight in its framing. These are just two characters and that's all you kind of interact with for the majority of the movie. And the way it's set to dramatic tension in executing some of these ideas which go on these characters' heads, uh, it's a bit wonky, but really interesting and really scary, but also creepy. So yeah, all these good words that are coming out. So it's good, right? right? It, it, yeah. it was good. It, it was quite, it was a little scary. It was interesting sitting next to Virat, who uh, <laughs> was a little, little, little bit jumpy in this film, Virat. Uh, I, I'm so glad I had my, you know, comfy jumper with me so I could just hide in that jumper and just like peekaboo when I wanted to or just, you know, not grab people. What I what I did what I what I did appreciate about this film <laughs> was simply that it uh, it took an extreme about turn about halfway through. I don't think anyone was quite expecting this, and it does genuinely surprise you in terms of the set design and some of the graphics and the, how they did the editing. There is a novel style which uh, evokes some of the seventies and eighties exploitation films. I feel this has been done uh, in a lot of the, in the underground film festival films and is a good motif. However, I think it was a little overstated in this at times, particularly with the opening yellow crawler graphics to you know quite a synthetic uh, 70s 80s music it, it veers into blue velvet territory uh, in quite a bit without realizing what it's doing in some sense but m- talking about the music and the soundtrack i think it, it definitely has one of the best soundtracks i've heard in the entire festival program it's a very oh, yes. very good soundtrack which was actually t- uh, part in part, at least in part taken from another film i can't remember the name he mentioned at the beginning of the introduction yes, but also it's, it uses a bit of suspiria soundtrack as well which is interesting yep. uh, so really good music wait you hear the suspiria soundtrack in this yes, yes. and that music is so good I know. Oh, and it's in the trailer too for the new one with dakota johnson oh yeah yeah tom york is doing the soundtrack for the new one so oh dear uh, you know, oh this is good could, uh, could uh, be equally interesting and weird and good but we'll see We'll see. This is. I think it will be uh, very interesting. I'll watch turn off anything with Radiohead. Um, on a very different note, however, we are talking about a film um, I missed. Uh, this was the one of the four-hour yeah, features. I, I, um, I was dreading at the end of uh, the first part of our recording um, going to see two four-hour films in a row. The first one was excellent, and we'll be talking about it more when Virat sees it and agrees or disagrees with that <laughs> assessment. It was Season of the Devil, disagree, the four-hour four opera in black and white. But uh, th- the next morning... Somehow I managed to stay awake through an elephant sitting still. Um, Virat, however, was like me when I saw Love Diaz's last film last year, uh, The Woman Who Left. 10 a.m. sessions of four-hour films are just too much. I am so, so happy that I was in the corner and on the support of the wall so I could lean back and doze off when I needed to. But you know, I, but, <laughs> but you might be thinking, is can he speak about a film he fell asleep in? And I would say yes, because you really didn't miss too much. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the pacing of this movie is weird. I think it's deliberate. I don't think I think it's that deliberate as probably it needs to be. It labors the point a little bit. It's this basically it's a film in slow motion. Yes. It's it's, it's episodic in the sense that there are certain characters and all of these characters have already given up hope. Yeah, it's it, about a- it's it's a really sad, hopeless I mean truly hopeless movie. I don't mean in the execution, I mean the characters have no hope. Yeah, look it's, it's a, a bleak worldview. It's about a bunch of people in a town in China. 
um, who sort of all know each other. They're all like one degree of separation away from each other, and they're all having a really bad day. And I, by the sounds of it, they've all ha- had only bad days for all of their lives. Every character in this film seems to be committing suicide. Um, you oh, know, yeah. no, considering suicide at one point or another, and it's bookended by suicides. Actually, okay, we should probably give a content warning of some sort at this point. This is this is a very serious film about uh, people not having any kind of hope uh, whatsoever. So, if you are look the, dealing the, the, with issues, the thing you know, is the reason why there it, are, there are, if you are dealing with issues, there are groups. Um, you can see that I will provide the number later in this program. The thing about this film is, <sighs> all right. It um it doesn't feel like just wallowing in misery porn in a way that as uh you know makes me feel the director is pretentious like uh, looking for accolades like um some of the Alejandro Gonzalez in well, films for example can't look for because this this director actually committed suicide before the film was released and you can feel the conviction that this is what the person genuinely believes How- you you can see because. Okay, it's an episodic structure, and after each episode, all the characters come to the same conclusion that the world is not worth living. You know that they that basically wherever they need to go, Things they can't escape their reality, lost. and the misery is always going to stay with them. So it's it it does become it's too repetitive for a point. But maybe that, that, that is that the point deep. because it is essentially trying to capture the experience of depression. To it, begin it, with, it does do that. Look, I, I enjoyed the film overall, but not enough to justify four hours of it. And I think it, it, you know, it's a film, you're not going to miss anything. It's a film where multiple yes. times characters go to, to directly state the point of the film, which is a pretty simple one that well, no matter where you go in life, nothing's going to get better. Life isn't worth living. It's all just misery. And I don't know. I think it's a lot to ask an audience to listen to that for four hours when it doesn't, it repeats it a lot, but doesn't actually gather in nuance, you know, attain more nuance or depth through the repetition. It's just forcing you to live in this worldview, but if which there's a quality to that. Yeah, but, but if you're a sadist like us, then you might enjoy it, and that, and that's fine. I think we we did because in a way, I think it's trying to make something a very real and interesting point about living with depression. Yeah. Lastly, the 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 problem I think is that the stories it tells don't you know don't really um, I think point to the conclusion that it's coming to. It feel it's a very vision of the world where not a single person is kind to one another, and that's everyone's just constantly looking out to, out to abuse each other. And that's probably the world where the director Hubo was living, but it's not really a world that I recognize. So it's going to be a struggle for some people to get into. And that was an elephant sitting still. If you are experiencing issues and would like to talk to someone, the number for Lifeline Australia is 13 11 14. That's 13 11 14. The next film we are talking about is a very different film, Tower of Bright Day, which is one of the two Polish films in addition to Mug, which is screening at the Festival of Rut, and I saw this. This is a film where a... Per- I saw it. Oh, you saw it too? Okay, yeah. we've all seen it. Fantastic. This is a film where a, a long-lost sister returns home to her family in a rural village, and throughout... The time that she's there and in the immediate days preceding her arrival, strange and fantastical things start to happen. Now, I'm going to say straight out that I did not like this film. It is one of my least favorite of the festival. I agree with you completely. It. Oh, my God. Are we united in hatred for a movie? This is fantastic. I love this. This is a new dynamic. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, what is, yeah. this, is, this is different, yes. Yeah, so, we all hate something, which is fantastic. 
so um, a lot of the criticisms we talked about earlier this episode, Chris talked about in more detail about the seen and unseen, I would also apply to this film. Absolutely. It doesn't, it, it, it relies on you swallowing and embracing a fantastical narrative. However, it does so in a manner that is too subtly evinced to evoke some sense of feeling or real investment in the story. A couple of years ago, Girl Asleep came out, which we referred to again earlier, which uh, had a similarly an evident low budget, but dealt with its mannerisms and its ideas in a creative and very colorful way. Um, they do not, there is not enough distinction between, I feel, what is fantastical and what is real in this film to really evoke a sense of wonder with what is recurring. I think it's basically shoehorned in to give this film some kind of episodic mystery, which it doesn't have or doesn't yes. need to begin with. It's, it's an empty film. It's shoe, and this last act is just shoehorned in to create as much shock Supernatural is here, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Basically, it's this really okay it's a film that doesn't seem to have any genuine inspiration to it it feels very very danish when i was watching this i was thinking this is like a i'm watching something, something like, in the state after, of Denmark. like after the wedding or melancholia or festin it's kind of like taking all these influences in terms of plotting of of like it's a bad family reunion and and uh, everyone hates each other and handheld camera work like where where like Lars von Trier is here and then um, oh, oh no no don't say those words don't say those words melancholia is definitely a reference point in terms of the, the tower that just Oh, yeah. terrible <laughs> switching between the the melodrama and then these kind of like supernatural special effects interludes where it breaks away from the handheld camera work into some CGI but the, you realize that there's just a scheme to this film you know you watch scenes of people being miserable and standing around each other at, at the dinner table or while going for miserable walks outside yeah. and then it cuts to then suddenly the scary sound design comes on the soundtrack as we go to something totally mysterious and completely vague and completely it's deliberately vague. insincere which is what I hate about yeah, yeah yeah so no, like it's just totally vague, you know, d- like a false sense of unease generating devices. And the ending came out of nowhere. Yeah, the ending comes out of nowhere. It doesn't um, end. It doesn't have an ending. And it looks like the people just suddenly smoke pot at like 2 a.m. Like, okay, we're going to do this. The thing about that is um, it opens with a premise designed to instill a sense of... Um, of unease to the family dynamics, which is that the aunt here is actually the mother of the daughter and the mother of the daughter is, um, you know, has allowed this reunion to happen here as long as they keep the secret up. But paranoia creeps in that her sister is going to reveal the truth. And that's a good premise for a movie. Uh, Yeah. I made it sound way more interesting than it actually is. Nothing happens. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I know that's the that criticism is the domain of people who don't understand artsy weird films, but really, nothing the, happens. Yeah, this is one. Look, there's there's ha- literally hundreds of films at the festival. We do recommend probably catch one of the others. Catch that something is, else. Yeah. yeah, it tries to manipulate you by throwing in this half baked horror premise, which turns out to be just sort of a ruse to dress this film up and give it far, give it international film festival play. So that was Tower of Bright Day. The next film we're talking about is one I am seeing but have not yet seen, which is Holiday, which is one of the. European Women Voices on Film, uh, including another one of those was A Mother Brings a Son to Be Shot, which was the Irish film, The Festival. And yes, can we talk about Holiday? Okay, Holiday Holiday is interesting. I, I don't know how much I can talk about the plot because... Uh, it hinges upon a twist in the narrative, yeah, which is going to alienate a lot of people. Basically, it's about a woman who um, is the boyfriend of a drug... The boyfriend. <laughs> her, her boyfriend is a drug lord, and they're going on holiday, the drug, ga- <laughs> drug gang, on the yeah, Turkish yeah, Riviera. Yeah, um, so they're basically just hanging around, being horrible people, Um and the movie is shot from a distance, and it's very—it's a very kind of cold feel. So it's just analyzing 
the ways that they are horrible people to each other and everyone they cross paths with as they walk around in empty luxury. I would say Michelangelo Antonioni is a reference point as in the kind of like big empty spaces. And it's a really interesting study of patriarchy in that sense, or I at least so. how, how men in toxic situations react to each other and versus how they react to, you know, a Women. female's presence as well. Yeah, that's right. It's definitely a feminine, a feminist statement. Um, look, I, I enjoyed this film overall, um, but uh, I think there isn't enough in it for it to justify its runtime. There is a lot of investment in what the actual twist and what the complications that bring with it are going to mean for all the characters involved and also for your viewing experience and it depends on how you perceive the investment that you put in in this narrative so it's actually something that we can't make a judgment of some people might really feel that it is very powerful because of that and some people might feel that it's actually quite empty the thing about this film is it's risen in my estimation since i watched it because that was um we (sighs) In retrospect, I'm seeing the narrative crystallized, and I like what it's doing, but the experience of watching it is a bit much because it's about characters who are kept at a remove, and it's a pretty simple narrative in terms of what actually happens. Um, I I do think that a lot of this time spent on just observing the spaces and the the slow-paced narrative works to its favor, but only to an extent. I think this film could have been, like, had half an hour shaved from it and probably been more effective. The characters are kept at a remove, and you're right, but when that incident happens, oh yeah, it, it definitely know, it, it suddenly becomes very immediate. It's a film that asks questions and makes you reconsider who the characters are and what's really going on in their yeah, minds, which I think is yeah, it is quite an effective climax. It's very confronting, but and yeah, it it works, but it depends how much you want to invest in it beforehand. Okay, and that was holiday, which is screening at the festival. Um, a couple of films I caught recently. One was. Um, well, Jerga, which is in the festival competition, it is from an Australian journalist who and filmmaker, who uh, Benjamin Gilmore, who um, the story behind this film is actually I think similar with Don Quixote, as if not more interesting than the actual film. Um, he was going to shoot a film uh, focused on his return to Australian soldiers' return to a Afghan tribal Jirga to send judgment for a matter which we learn later in the film. However, due to the script being too, deemed too politically sensitive, he had to buy a camera at a Pakistani shopping mall and rewrite the script hastily and shoot with a, one camera and just a very small crew um, in parts of rural Afghanistan. I think the constraints within that are reflected in the film. Um, this is impactful towards the end. There is an excellent concluding sequence which the entire film leads up to. I feel I could have watched this film as a short encapsulated and enjoyed it just as much. I think a lot of people, however, who see this film who are familiar with aspects of Afghanistan, particularly aspects of rural Afghanistan, where there is a particular breed of very strong militancy, will be frustrated with aspects of this movie, as they will find it um, either unrealistic or a bit jarring. So that is Jirga, which is screening as part of the official competition. The other film uh, we can briefly talk about is what I saw on the first night, which is playing a game, which is Ghost Stories as part of the Freak Me Out section. It is starring Martin Freeman and Alex Lawther of Black Mirror fame and uh, the It's Only the End of the World. Uh, this film is an anthology based on a stage play. Apparently the stage play is very good. Um, I can't quite say the same for the film. The first shocker is that classic, you know, lost in a warehouse spooker, which turns on a, uh, as so many horrors do, on a comic turn towards the end. And the others are very, unfortunately, abrupt, more comically attuned horrors, which I did not like as much. I appreciate classic horror, certainly what they let us into. And uh, if you're going to be comedy horror, that's fine. But if you're going to be classic horror, at least stick with that. And certainly the way they tied this all together 
together in the end was not very good or did not recommend the film at all. That is Ghost Stories. Um, in our last minute, we will be running off to many more films during the week. Um, I will be seeing Three Identical Strangers, The Miseducation of Cameron Post, as well as Vigilante and Searching in the coming days, as well as um, the new Joaquin Phoenix film we never really hear. What is everyone seeing at the festival? Cold War... Um I'm seeing Season of the Devil, which Chris has already seen, and I'm also seeing Touch Me Not. The I'm seeing Touch Me Not as well tonight. Controversial yep. winner. Um, uh, what's the the one the. If I can't remember the name of the title, I'm not going to read it. We're seeing, we're seeing quite a few films. Um, yeah. If you do want $10 tickets, they are available at the Hub. Come find us and come say hello and just come join in the, in the festival. It's a good time and um, it is a wonderful environment and you certainly meet some fantastic people who are enjoying punishing and enjoyable and just marvelous movies. Love movies, love John Luke Goddard. Yeah, the image book. We're seeing that uh, just before the next one, just after the next one goes to air. So yeah. look forward to that. And we will be back on Wednesday night at 7.30 for more Film Fight Club, more Sydney Film Festival coverage. This has been Glenn Fountain, Chris Evans, Veronica, Enjoy Muse. Have a wonderful The movie was called No Date, No Signature.